Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Dumpling, sure as flagrant delicto is delicious and fragrant, you are the purgatory of hunger, the smoldering taste, lick of flame, salting the radiance between empty mirrors and a grave. This program features the work of 2019 writer Rena Priest. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator Kathleen Flanagan, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. Describe your Jackstraw project that you proposed and, and where it comes from and what you're planning to do. So I started this collection, Sublime Subliminal, when I was at a mineral school residency. And I'd never been to residency before. And when I was there, I initially had proposed to work on a memoir. And I kept running into challenges with that and, and not knowing kind of what came next or what to do next. And so I'd take a little break and I'd write a poem using this 20 little poetry projects form that I had found in one of my books of exercises. And it's by Jim Zimmerman, who's an Arizona poet. And I ended up, I think, writing five poems while I was there and just kind of kept going. And then I had enough for a collection by the end of the year. And so I started submitting that around. And I thought, well, I think I might be done with the 20 little poetry projects, but I like this playing with language and playing with sound. And I want to try to do sonnets with some of these lines from the 20 little poetry projects from Sublime Subliminal, which is what the collection ended up being called. And so there were 15 poems in that collection. And I found this new form, which was a heroic crown of sonnets. And... You take a line from each of the 14 sonnets in the crown and make the master sonnet at the end, which is the 15th sonnet. And I thought, well, let's try to make those correspond to the sublime subliminal poems. So that's kind of how I came up with the Jack Straw project that I proposed. And I've been doing that, but I feel like maybe what's more interesting even than doing a full sonnet is just leaving it at the volta, like doing eight lines and then like letting it hang there without the turn and without, you know, kind of the change in meaning or without the epiphany to just see what that feels like. And I'm not that far into those poems, but I think it'll be interesting seeing how it, how it comes together. The sonnets that I wrote so far just seemed too much like repetitions of the original Sublime Subliminal poems. They just seemed too similar. Like I hadn't done anything new except put it in iambic pentameter mm -hmm. and make it 14 lines. So I'm changing it up a little bit, and we'll see how it goes. You talked also about a glossary. So in the original poems, the original 15 poems that make up Sublime Subliminal, each of the 20 little poetry projects includes something like, you know, use a word that you've never heard before and use a slang phrase that may be new to you or use um, a piece of 
local talk, like an idiom. So these are all requirements for the poem. Yeah, they're all required to be put into the poem. And so that was a lot of fun collecting those. And some of them are just really interesting and entertaining and obvious on the page. And some of them, I think, need a little bit of explanation. One of them is include the name of a famous person in a famous place. And so the famous people that are included in in this collection are often like very, very interesting and unusual. They're they're famous, but not like obvious famous. Um, One of them is Jim Sullivan, or Roy Sullivan, who is famous for being hit by lightning, struck by lightning 11 times and having survived. And while I was doing research on people being struck by lightning, I found a story of a man who had been struck by lightning while he was smoking a cigarette. And the charge, he held it in his mouth until he got home. And I'm assuming he must have told his wife about being struck by lightning. And then when they kissed, the lightning discharged and he was done. Um, Died. Wow. So I thought, whoa, that's such an interesting story and it's just the story out there in the world and you know I didn't really have a place for it in the poem as it was but I felt like that's something that could be included in the glossary and there are all kinds of little stories like that about the names and people that are included and the places that are included and you know some of the words I learned the word bombogenesis which it's just fun to say, right? But it's a rapidly intensifying storm. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and then there's foreign language phrases too, which I feel are nice. It just kind of offers up this idea that language barriers, the things that separate us, it's all language and it's all, you know, it can be music and it has meaning and it could be a secret meaning you don't have to understand it just to kind of like absorb it and have it be a part of your life somehow. So, Right. So one of the things that writers have to do is use language. We make our art out of everyday language, which is, I think, actually noble. But we also have to use the language of people who are lesser, you know, people who are scoundrels or liars or cheats. And um, I thought about that when you were talking about your conscious decision to fall in love with language again. And I'm wondering if there is a story underneath that decision you made. Yeah. um, So the news was bumming me out right around the same time that I started this work. And for some reason, there were experiences that just kind of kept happening. And one sticks out in my mind where I was sitting and having lunch with my dad and we were talking and and he asked about how somebody was doing and I explained that, you know, there was this unfortunate thing that happened and he goes, oh, sounds like old so-and-so got the feathers. And I was like, what? (laughs) He's like, yep, got the feathers. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And he said, sometimes you get the chicken, sometimes you get the feathers. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. And, and, you know, that this is something that he would say to probably any of his friends and they would automatically know, like, oh, yeah, I got the feathers, you know, that it was like this thing. And that there's so many parts of language that you can be privy to or, you know, engage with that have nothing to do with 
what comes at you from the the usual sources like the media or textbooks or you know whatever there's just all of this richness of the whole world and all of the languages and so that somewhat coincided maybe with the with finding 20 little poetry projects and feeling yes this is definitely where it's at like the strangeness and richness and variety of experiences available through one language, just one language. And then you get to like add in another second language somewhere. That was really cool. I sometimes hate the idea that we're bathing in the same language that some people in power use. I want to be able to flush it somehow or clean it. I feel like it's it's magical, like in a way, language, using it for poetry or powerful prose that changes a person's mind or changes a person's relationship to the world is like a type of magic. And yeah, I mean, give a message besides some of that garbage that comes out of like the the powerful minds and give something for people to kind of, maybe your audience is just kind of this big, just tiny, you know, but it changes everything if you can engage with it in a certain way. Is that where a poem starts? Sometimes, yeah. Um, or even just like a weird image. Putsada Riang, who's also another Jack Straw writer, she and I were sitting out in the lobby talking about how how weird it is. It's almost like a feeling settles on you and you, you know, you find a flow and then you go with it, but you never know what it's going to coincide with. Um, in the title poem of Sublime Subliminal, it's seeing a feather, a pigeon feather fall from a balcony. That moment was just somehow like poignant enough for me to write about it and then build a little poem around it. And Putsada reminded me of something that one of my teachers said in grad school. Uh, Stephen Dobbins, I had two classes with him, and it was it was really great working with him. And then I read his book, Best Words, Best Order, and there's a lot in there that is so useful. But he said that he can feel a poem coming on like he can feel a cold coming on. <laughs> and, I, and, and I thought that was brilliant because you just don't know what, the, what it's going to attach itself to, right. but it's there and you got to write it. <laughs> you want to read something for us? Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's see. This one's a little sassy. I've been told that my writing doesn't seem Native American <laughs> or, or you know, I, I actually had a teacher at graduate school tell me that he didn't think of me as an Indian. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I don't think he gets to decide. But. No. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, I suppose this poem is really in response to that because I was sort of ticked off about that for a long time secretly and never said anything to anybody and so but also not just that one occasion but you know because I don't write the things with the traditional markers that set native literature aside in in the minds of publishers who are non-native I don't fit that you know somehow but yeah like you say they don't get to decide sorry reality is you know born and raised on a reservation and I know who I am and where I come from and it's not for them. But so here's this poem called Super Sacred. The super sacred ceremony 
is a portal to pre-contact. All the songs are time machines, but they only travel to the past. And you have to know how to write a rhythm and a tone. The super-sacred ceremony is a succession of inventions receding into oblivion. Smartphones are the first to go. The last is the sense of smell. When you come to the beginning, there is the scent of geosmin, then ozone, then nothing. No more quenching of thirst with the sound of rain. No more salt. The word salt is from the Latin for particle. JK, the word for salt isn't real. The word scent, however, is also a container for thoughts about hunting and lovemaking and lilacs. Vera Rubin, did you ever wonder if dark matter weren't made of women like you, quietly doing 90% of the work of holding together the universe, keeping it all from flying apart just like a family matriarch? The super-sacred ceremony requires a night dentist to extract the dark tooth and replace it with gold. This is my real Indian poem, the one the admissions board and a certain readership have been waiting for. Here are some beads. Here are some feathers. Here is a song and dance that changes up the weather. Here is the requisite mention of Mother Earth and the moon. Here is a deer with a velvet hide who asks of me with his mind. Indian poems? Why, you know right. Here is a sacred prayer at sunrise. Here are two eagles in flight, and here is my forgiveness. The super-sacredness of this, my real Indian poem, is going to absolve all white guilt, but only if you buy my book. Grant me admission. Say I'm a good Indian. A real Indian. Princess, when the anthropologists came to study my tribe, they recorded the phrase, Suwit and Chiukait, Your light is good. Did the old people mean lamplight or heartlight or both? We'll never know. All the songs are time machines, but all the words have changed. That is so gorgeous, that part where she's holding 90% of the world together with her her work or... Just quietly doing the work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. And that deer, that talking deer. Yeah. Well, it's funny, I mean, because I think that the expectation, there's this like romanticized notion about Native Americans, and it's all just based on, you know, Hollywood movies and this idea that we just kind of like disappeared in the 1800s or something, you know, and that if we are still around, that like we, uh, I don't don't really assume to know, but just kind of based on some of the things that people ask me at readings or something, you know, or when they find out that I'm Native American, I get the sense that the idea is that it's just very one-dimensional, mm. you know. We talk to deer and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we all wear beads and feathers. I do wear beads quite a lot. I love I love my beaded jewelry, but, you know, it's just kind of like there's there's more. There's so much more. We're four-dimensional people, and, you know, it's not all just kind of existing sometime in a distant romantic past, that there's, you know, a lot of genocide and cultural genocide that we've survived, and it's made for very rich cultures and very interesting individuals and voices that I think if publishers don't expect it audiences will appreciate 
what gets said authentically. Now we'll hear a selection from Rena's live reading. So I'll start out with Song of the Blue Cricket. Your face is a trapdoor to euphoria. I see you. I want to see more of you. Your face is a bell. I salivate, secrete secret lusts that taste like abiding bliss, a sweet yet refreshing mix of melons and lemons grown by nymphs. Your face is relentless. I can't forget how it feels like the lanate riff of metal from a germanium fuzz face petal. I skip across the surface of your glance, then sink into its rippling silence. Eons later, I wash ashore smaller, softer, in waves that break like laughter from the crowded cabarets of Montparnasse. I go there to ask Alice Prynne about the photographs. Was man a chimper when he caught her likeness in his light bucket? Your face relents. I forget how it feels, and so I yield to the urge to yield. Let the devil make a nest in my head. The length of a snake is the snake's secret until it's dead. The blue cricket of transcendence keeps a measuring tape under his bed. He says, darling, dry your tears, and ever hence we will live in temples where ample residual resins smolder in unused confessionals. Qu'est-ce que c'est bruit un éclat de rire? Let the soul dangle like a circus aerialist on a thread, a spider on the ceiling. Your gaze, is it a safety net or a web? This one's called Flagrant Delicto. One of the little poetry projects is to incorporate a word that you don't know the meaning of, and I didn't know the meaning of this before. <laughs> so now I do. <laughs> um, and it has an epigraph from John Milton's Paradise Lost. Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? Which is also at the beginning of Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Oh, and you have to encore a famous person. And the famous person in here is William Pratt, which is um, Boris Karloff's original name. And he was the original Frankenstein. So, Radiance is a substantial gain in problem-solving ability. A beam, a gleam, a brilliant luminosity, a schedule that feels like fractals, eligible, redundant, fancy, berry-flavored and pungent, though less punitive to the touch with the sound like mulch. William Pratt doesn't think much of the luster cast by sunlight across the tombs of Kensal Green. He feels radiance as a hindrance, a fulgence, a nuisance. And oughtn't he to know, with his shadow that danced away from his heels, off somewhere with the reflection that glares with his absence in mirrors? It's a class act that makes joining the great majority into a black tie affair. Why cart, love? Sometimes you get the chicken, sometimes you get the feathers. <laughs> when dusk turns dark, the sparkling remediation of warmth is the blood singing inside of you. Malcomune mezzo gaudio, a shared evil is half a joy. Dumpling, 
Sure as flagrant delicto is delicious and fragrant, you are the purgatory of hunger, the smoldering taste, lick of flame, salting the radiance between empty mirrors and a grave. Shimmy at the Volta. One. Is it comforting to be told that we are not alone? Do you assume whatever is with us loves us? Perhaps the being who is busy conjuring clouds is watching over us now. Two. Does it unsettle you to be told that we are not alone? Are you made leery by a lack of backstory? Who's out there? Perhaps intelligent aliens with bony eyelids and starlit iridescent eyes stare. Three. Of course we are not alone. We have our own strange reflections, like wings of glass fluttering in a maze of mirrors, perhaps evolved to crack, so we can embark, make breakthroughs. Four, we are alone if you believe the universe is one big thing, which it is, in the same way an octopus has one big brain and another in each leg. Perhaps we are alone. Shall we move joyfully and see if anyone joins to have a shimmy? Four. At the Volta, have a shimmy. And another in each leg. Make breakthroughs. In a maze of mirrors, eyes stare. Who's in there watching us? Does it love us? Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, Tom Stiles, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by the Bird Tribe Orchestra, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2019 curator of this program is Kathleen Flanagan, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back-fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks go to Larry Lawrence for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>